Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. And welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I am your host, Adam Diamond, and today we have a very interesting, I think it'll be a fun episode. Uh, we're talking today about Mother God. And uh, yeah, so we came across an article recently uh, within the Atlantic provinces uh, that talks about gendered use, gendered language in referring to God. And basically it tries to make a case that we can call God father or mother, or maybe even just mother. Uh, so for today's episode, I've gotten three guys who are ready, I think, to jump on this one. So we have uh, David Drover. Hey, everybody. We have Stephen Bray. Hello, hello. And Stephen Da. Hello. Uh, Steve Bray, you've joined us a lot recently, actually. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have, haven't I? <laughs> I must have caught you at a good time. Or we must have some really good things that you're just like, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about stuff that, well, well, again, I know people are well-meaning, but man, some of the stuff I just, I'm like, really? And I just, yeah. Anyway, All right, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we came across this article. Actually, Dave, I think you came across it, didn't you? Mm, yep. Yeah, so yep. Dave comes across this article um, that uh, tries, and I said try to make a case, because uh, now, again, this article is based off of someone's paper in a seminary, and they turn it into an article. So I don't know if they just left a lot of argumentation or actual well the, proof there tech. was an awful lot of argument missing from the article yeah and so, so that's what i mean like it, it tries to make a case um but i think it falls really short uh, but we're just going to take that on today um and i think this is a growing uh, movement we'll say of like you know do we call god mother can we call god mother well, and I think it's a more of a growing camp within forms of progressive evangelicalism than anything else. I mean, the fact is, I grew up dealing with people telling me that you know God, that you could use feminine imagery to refer to God, so you should be able to talk about God, your mother, and things like that. In fact, I've actually argued the other side of this position that I'm probably going to be standing on right now. Well, that's great. So maybe you can be a little devil's advocate here. Possibly, but <laughs> I, I actually think the position is wrong. So, all right, guys. So, one of the things in this uh, article it says basically tries to make a case that there's female and motherly imagery used to describe God. And if that's the case, then we should be able to. It should be no issue to not call God mother if you know, um, like a mother hen or uh, whatever else is used. Uh, but does does that mean that we can refer to God as mother if God is described as having motherly attributes or features? Well, I think we first have to be careful with what we're talking about when we say that there is feminine imagery of God in the Bible. I mean, there is feminine imagery used of roles that God performs in Scripture, obviously. Right. Uh, there are similes that are used in Scripture. The, God, the kingdom of God is like this. Uh, there are places where Jesus uses similes that include uh, female imagery, like, uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how would I, I would like to uh, gather you like a, a mother gathers yeah. her hands. Yeah. It, again, a simile referring to it. The problem is going to be that that's not quite how language works. Right. <laughs> um, I... I don't know. I left. Uh, I left the room like a scalded cat after the meet after the meeting this morning. That doesn't mean you should call me 
a, a cat. Or I should come down and say, here, puss, 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 puss. Exactly. It's, <laughs> a simile doesn't mean that you actually think that the, that the image yeah. that you're tying it to is that thing that it's being referred to. So I'd actually go so far as to say, no, no, you can't. That, that is not an adequate argument for believe, for saying that. Mm-hmm. And, and just to add to that too, kind of the, the counter to that, there are a couple of places that I know of where God is pretty explicit about what his name should be. Yeah. Um, one of them in Exodus 3, if you look at Exodus 3, um, 13 to 14, I'll just read it out really quick. This is when God is talking to Moses and, and sending Moses and God's, you know, in the burning bush and stuff like that. So he says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. So there's one thing. God, he says, he, I am who I am. And then in the New Testament, um, in Matthew 28, Sorry, guys, just got to turn to it here. Bookmarks are your friend, brother. It's all right. I'll, I'll throw I got there. Some, like, I'm here. Got a here. fancy Bible with a bunch of bookmarks and not using any of them. I'll yeah. throw in some Jeopardy music or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's all good. I'm there. I'm, I'm there. Um, so he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, and now notice this, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right. So at least to me, I mean, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but those I think are the two main places in Scripture where God is very clear about what His name is, um, and especially in that second one, we see Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. So, yeah. So I'm going to go a step further because in the article, the whole idea was we can make the decision based on our emotions, our experiences, mm-hmm. how we see God, so how we can address God. And one of the things in the article was the idea of our father or our mother who art in heaven. The the problem I have with that is in Matthew chapter six, in the Sermon on the Mount, when the disciples, who at this time are 12 and they're varied, Mm -hmm. so they have got a variance of expressions, experiences, emotions, and they go to Jesus Christ and say, how should we pray? Mm -hmm. So there's an explicit question. Mm -hmm. And God, Jesus Christ says, when you pray, pray this, our Father, right? I mean, I don't know how it gets any more explicit than that. Then you go to Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, when the preacher is saying, who is Jesus Christ? He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, becoming as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than ours. And what I mean by that is the writer of Hebrews saying, look, Jesus is the perfect representation of God in human form. Mm-hmm. And it's he. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, there is probably going to be a bit of pushback here. Uh, from that position, because I mean, like, uh, one of the ones that you'll run into a great deal is in Genesis chapter 1, where it refers to God as, you know, making man in his image. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Right. So that's uh, Genesis 1, 27, in case you're interested. And so the, the, the point would be there that, you know, 
there isn't a sense in which, you know, men are the primary uh, image of God and then women are somehow a derivative image of God. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we don't want to go so far as to, uh, honestly, the article had a few straw men arguments about how people who would, you know, kind of uh, argue for the masculinity of God and the fatherhood of God specifically would, you know, say that women are somehow less than men. Yeah. That is not a biblical position. That's right. To be honest, if you actually if you do say that women are less in the image of God, I would go so far as to say you're a heretic. That's mm-hmm. right. Um but that said, uh, but that doesn't mean that we get to define how we refer to God any more than in a situation where normal logic would would rule. The fact is you can have experiences of me that are incorrect. That's right. Uh, and and you don't get to define me based on your mm-hmm. incorrect un- interpretation of who I am. And I think something, too, that, that's kind of going on there in that looking at Genesis 1, and we talked about this, I think, actually, when we talked about our first God Can episode. Yeah. Sometimes it could be tempting for us to look at ourselves and then look at God, Right. whereas we should do it the opposite way. We should look at God and then look at ourselves, because if we start in the wrong place, we can have a whole host of issues. And so if, if you're taking this as an example, if we look at ourselves first, we say, well, he created a male and female. What then does that tell me about God in terms of who God is? Whereas we should say, you know, what, is, what does God tell us? The fact that we are in his image, what does that tell us? us? about us. Exactly. Um, so we shouldn't, we want to make sure we don't flip that inadvertently because yeah. I think it's very tempting and very easy and very natural for us to do that. But we have to start back with, with God first and then not ourselves. Right, and the, but the argument then, even as what Steve is pointing out, the argument is based that since humanity is gets it wrong, therefore, ipso facto, God must have got it wrong, and we can now are free to interpret the Bible any way we want. Well, and reinterpret whatever God has said to us in any way we want. Right, because that's then, my point. My point is not to go on my emotions or my feelings or my culture. I'm saying Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, when a group of human beings went to him and said, how should we talk to address God? Mm-hmm. His instruction was this. Yeah. And you can't, you can't accuse Jesus of being, um, well, yeah. fill in the blank. <laughs> well, a, a misogynist or a right. sexist or whatever. Uh, but, I mean, there is something, I think, a little deeper here going on, and this is kind of, I apologize for skipping ahead in your questions here, but I think that there's actually a much deeper question than whether or not you're dealing with using proper language when referring to God. I think, by the way, the, the this issue is important, but there is something undergirding all of this that seems far more important to me, and that is, and I, I say to me, I think it's it, it is just far more important the fact is, there is a God, or and there are things that we can say about God that are true, and things that we can say about God that are false. Mm-hmm. If you say that there is no God, you're wrong. It's a simple it's a simple fact because there is a reality in the universe that is in fact true or false. You hear that, atheists? You're wrong. <laughs> Mic drop. No, <laughs> continue. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we can have arguments and stuff about that, but the fact is, there is a fact of the matter, and the atheist is going to turn around to me and say that there is no God, and we're going to have a, a discussion because one of us is right and the other is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it's... that. That's the nature of truth. The problem that I saw in the article is that there was a, a, a kind of idea that when we 
when we speak, we, we have uh, an ability to speak based on our interpretation of the situation and that our interpretation can't be gainsaid. I can't question your interpretation of your experience with God. Now, I, I, can, uh, I can't question your experience. That's something that you actually have. But let's be clear. You can in question somebody else's interpretation of an experience. The fact is, things are a way or they're not. And the problem here is, what he was saying was, you can define God based on how you experience God. Mm-hmm. That what I have experienced from God means that I can say things that are true about God or false about God without questioning myself. Instead, I change the object. I change God. Exactly. So you're essentially placing your experience even above Scripture. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yes. And I'd go further than that, mm-hmm. placing your version of God over the real one. Yeah, so at, at best, you're redefining God. At worst, you're replacing God. Exactly. Exactly. Re- recreating God in our image as opposed yeah. to us being created in his image. I, I'm, I, and I know people might think, boys, you're awfully worked up. Like, but that's the danger of this. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, again, using scripture, um, you know, when Paul, who writes to Timothy, wants to have us praying for people, and he says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. Now, again, that's a translation, yeah. which means people. Yeah. Right. But it's the man, Christ Jesus, like in, in yeah. the sense of there is a way for us to see God. Now, are we going to get into it? Like, I'm not here saying God's a male based on our in the, in the sense. No, no. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that God himself, as David said, said, when you think of God, because again, how can we describe God? Mm-hmm. Right. We use the fancy term anthropomorphic expressions, mm-hmm. but the reality is God is always presented to us as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yep. We're never given the option of God the Father or Mother or whatever you know teddy bear. Or I've heard. God I've heard God's like, right or, or God's the teddy bear or God's the big man upstairs or or any of these types of things. Oh, that's actually a really good one to come up with because the fact is that would also be a heresy from. Our perspective here to come up with an idea that there's an old man on a throne in heaven right. that doles out good gifts to us based on whether we do the right things. Like or he's not. the ultimate cosmic Santa Claus. That is a created God. And right. that's kind of the danger we come to here. The problem isn't specific for me. The problem it, it, there's a lot of problems, but the, <laughs> the central problem isn't the isn't the permutations of what specific language we use. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that we've decided that we can come up with right. new ways to talk about this God who has revealed himself, mm-hmm. as if the revelation right. can be supplanted by my own desires. Yeah, and, and something else, too, I think we should address this at least once here, is that people will kind of mask kind of what you're saying, Steve, but us getting to define it under the culture gets to define it. Right. Because that was part of the article, too, is that they or um, the general argument, basically, that in Scripture, when we see this language, it was written that way because that's what the culture was. Exactly. Right? Um, but just as a quick, I guess, fact check, if you can call it that, <laughs> um, a lot of deities in that time actually would have been female. So the Most fact that they could have wrote 
God as our mother. It, well, there was no reason the, for them one to in the not. Bible. I mean, in the Book oh. of Acts, when right. they're having the problems in Ephesus, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it, it's about Artemis of the Ephesians, right? Who is a female god? Yeah, right. So, I mean, on that level, that argument kind of falls apart. But even on the deeper than level of that, the culture also doesn't get to tell us what truth is. No, no I right? think I think it comes back to 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 you know, Jesus. I mean, I've heard some sort of an argument made for culture. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm just laughing. Steve is like Mr. Wilson over there trying to see me between the mic. <laughs> uh, but there's there's an argument made. I've I've seen at least some semblance of argument made from like the culture aspect of the Old Testament. You know that was a male dominated culture. You know this is just how they would have described God. Right. But when you get to Jesus, and if you believe Jesus is God incarnate. And then, so then God in the flesh says, this is how you refer to God, and I'm calling God Father, and you are to call God Father. I I just think that's a checkmate. Like, when God himself says, this is what you call me, what what do you do with that? But to be clear, we like to have things that can get out of Jesus's checkmates on us. Yeah, that's right. We like to have ways of making sure that we get to define God in the ways we want God to be. Mm. Because the fact is... I would prefer to actually live in a universe that's controlled by me rather than the one that actually exists, the one that's controlled by God. Well, in a lot of ways, you'd like to be God yourself. Absolutely. But that's, again, right? So this is the classic ploy of Satan. We're right back to the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. and everything else. What, the, what is Satan's two-pronged approach? One, I'm going to start with getting you to doubt God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? Then secondly, if you doubt God, then you either have to be God or you've got to recreate him. And of course, the very dark thing that ends up, if we end up with the capacity to recreate God is, you can't question me. So I can't, so all of the things yes, that, and that God, I'm with I, you there, Steve. I become God. And so because I am the God of my own universe, you don't get the right to tell me that this thing is wrong, that this belief I have is wrong. I That's have right. all the freedom. Well, actually, we, I think this is something that happens in our culture. I have the freedom to believe whatever I want to believe. <laughs> right. And I think there's a book in the Old Testament that talks about this too. Uh, judges, judges yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we've gone to a couple of issues to so like, you know, but w- w- is there any reason why someone would want to call God mother? I, I think mean, it's like, in the article, the article itself, because we live in a messed up world mm-hmm. where fathers, like, I get it that the imagery, not everybody has a dad. People have had deadbeat dads. People have been horrifically hurt by dads. And so therefore their whole view of masculinity and male is bad. And they've had wonderful, warm experiences with mothers. Like, like we live in a culture that's single mother dominated and all of these types of, so it's not that I don't get the emotional appeal. I, I get it on a very profound level. I'm an only child. I've had all kinds of experiences on all of these types of things. And it's, but again, I'm with you, Adam, that Jesus Christ, because you can, and David just pointed out, you can claim that the first century culture was male dominated. You, you know, it, it was misogynist. It was all of these types of things, but you can't say that about Christ. No, mm-hmm. no. At least women, not while remaining a Christian. W- women loved Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus was the ultimate example of masculinity, of maleness, and yet he was Savior and Redeemer and Lord, and no woman nor man had a problem going to Jesus and recognize him. And when he says, and then if you go through Scripture itself, with even women themselves referring to God, 
the women of the Bible don't have a problem with how God represented himself. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and I think there's something to be, th- that, that actually accents the danger here too. Because of the fact that we can understand why people would want to refer to God as the feminine, we recognize that there is a real thing called toxic masculinity. Absolutely. There is a such thing as mm-hmm. being a, a deadbeat dad or even an abusive man. That yep. is a real thing. But without being able to say, well, that there is a God who created the universe, who expects things of you, who you meet in the pages of scripture, I don't have a lot of ability to be able to tell the toxic masculine people in my congregation, look, you need to repent and come to Jesus mm-hmm. because right, well, they've but, created but, Jesus in their image. But this place. argument breaks down in both directions. I know of men and women whose view of femininity and being female is grossly skewered and feel that a mom walked out on... And again, because the article is basically, however you've personally experienced life, then you're allowed to express that as your view of God. Mm-hmm. But but can I ask them, where's the gospel in that? Mm-hmm. Well, then, then you're serving a God that is so... You don't know who God is, because then your God that you right. describe, that you serve is vastly different probably from the God I serve or someone else because of our life experiences, and none of us are serving the same God. So that's what I mean. So you and I get together, and now we're going to join each other in prayer. And so you've had a faulty view of masculinity, so Mm. you refer to God as mother. I've had a faulty view of femininity, so I refer to God as father. How are we now going to pray in unity? Well, and it's going to get worse than that because you're going to have masculine images of God and you'll have feminine images of God that uh, may, in fact, bring in some of the toxic... The the right. feminine the feminine view will bring in some of the toxic femininity. The masculine view will bring in some of the toxic masculinity. And there's no method of being able to tell you which uh, which of these things are toxic and wrong because your standard is yourself. Exactly. So, th- and, and that's what I don't think the reason we're doing this podcast, this is the ultimate danger of this. Mm-hmm. We, we've spent 18, 19 minutes just making general observations. This is not to be simply because, no, I don't like this article. I don't like the, you know, this makes me uncomfortable. I want to be against it. Mm-hmm. No, I'm crying out for, what's my Bible for? Mm-hmm. Right. If ultimately my Bible is kind of like a suggestion box of a God, now I'm going to take it and then I'm going to run it through the filter of all of my emotions and eventually going to come up with one, then guys, it just makes sense that every single person I know is going to conjure up a different view of God. And most, and many of them are not going to actually refer to scripture for it. They'll simply refer to their own experiences. You're, you're not far off of, if this is the case, and you're not far off of universalism. Because there's, there's no reason for then, if you, if yeah, if we just take scripture and we filter it through our experiences, through our culture, and then we're allowed to express, you know, to God, however that leads us to, then we have no reason to stop Muslims from, you know, saying that Allah is no different than the God we serve. We have no reason to stop, you know, any Hindus by saying one of their gods is the God that we serve. We have no reason to stop, you know, Anyone, even an atheist, we have an no reason to say to an agnostic or an atheist, "No, your image of God is wrong." Yeah, though, mm-hmm. though, I mean, I have to admit, I actually have some some sympathy for agnostic and athe- agnostics and atheists at this point because, I mean, if you're looking at the gods that we create in our own images, those gods don't exist, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
That's going to be the problem, though. We have to actually discuss what we're talking about when we talk about God. And we don't get to define it ourselves. We don't get to de- we get to describe what we see in God. Mm-hmm. We don't get to define God, and that's the problem here, because the imagery that you that that's the difference between imagery and definition. Mm-hmm. When I say God is my mother, I'm actually saying something about God specifically about God, mm-hmm. not about the relationship. Yeah, it's not like I'm saying you know I'm a mother. Like I'm not like I, I was a stay at home dad. I wasn't a mother to Ray Lynn uh, when I stayed home with her, but I could say I was as tired as a mother right. to describe how tired I was, and people would understand that because, you know, mothers generally stay home with children. But uh, Ray's mother didn't suddenly become less a mother because you were actually filling roles that were mm-hmm. traditionally associated with femininity. Or even just, even just describe myself like a mother doesn't mean I'm taking that only role as a mother. Right. It's completely different. Well, not only that, but I mean, you know, you mentioned it earlier in Acts chapter 17, when Paul addresses all of the so-called academics, philosophers, all those that defined life in, at the Areopagus, if, you'll, if you read it, look at what he says, right? Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Right. Mm-hmm. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. The, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. So, I mean, that that's a catch-all for males and females, right? So this mm-hmm. is not Paul being patriarchal. This is not him with some sort of cultural agenda, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's saying the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself. So are you really telling me that Paul just was, you know, well, listen, I like this male imagery. I'm just going to use it. He's making an argument for this ideal of this pantheistic create God in any way, shape, or form, and he's actually unpacking it. Mm-hmm. And if, if we stick to the narrative that Jesus was a rebel, um, that he, you know, he stretched the religious leaders' uh, views and he challenged them on all points, what better time than for Jesus to say, no, this is God, our mother, or even for Paul, who, you know, took some took some really, you know, extreme steps to give women some liberty in the church uh, to even say, like, no, you can pray this way. Yeah. But there's there's this in, there's this description for a reason. Right. It's not just the culture. It's not just experience. And and if you want to test it out, I mean, go read through the book of John <laughs> and notice how many times Jesus says, my father. Especially John 14. Yeah. What was it you said? It was like 22 times? 24 times. 24. Mm-hmm. In one chapter. One chapter. Yeah. <laughs> one chapter. But anyways, I think, too, the, the bottom line, and maybe to tie some of this together, I think a lot of what we were saying can kind of be summed up in, in when we're trying to figure out what truth is, mm-hmm. who God is, mm-hmm. dare I say, what, you know, what God is, who God is, we've got to answer the question, what are we going to trust in? Right. Are we going to trust in his revealed word? Mm-hmm. Are we going to trust in what he says about himself? Right. Or are we going to trust in what we say or what our culture says? And that's basically it. That, that's the question. And if, you, if you're erring towards the second half of that, trusting in ourselves, that's yeah. when we get to fall into so many... We could talk 
the like, hours about all the dangers we fall into. And I mean, just before anybody goes into the whole, you know, excluded middle thing, I'm not saying that your personal experiences or your uh, or our culture have nothing to do with how we interpret scripture. Mm. They mm-hmm. obviously do. You, yes. Absolutely. You are going to bring yourself to the word of God. The question is, what is the ultimate authority? Not what is your only authority. That's right. Yeah. What is the authority that yeah. by which the other authorities are... Must submit themselves. Right. Yeah. What's the norming norm, so to speak? Because What's if, the thing that yeah. defines the stuff? Because if I feel a certain way, and then I open up this book and read it, and it tells me the opposite... Then I've got a decision. Do That's I submit right. to it or do I ignore it? <laughs> yeah, when you come are, something Or do I understand that I'm a sinner? So even my feelings are affected this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you come against something in scripture, like, like you said, Dave, do you struggle with it and say, okay, if I believe this is to be true, but I don't like it? Like, do you, do you do away with that or do you struggle with it, wrestle with it, yeah. and then like submit yourself to that and figure out, okay, what's being said here, why don't I like it, and what's in me that's butting up but against it? But this comes back to the Bible's teaching. I'm, I'm preaching through John 14, mm-hmm. and when Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to give you my helper, who's going to teach you and remind you, yep. because, again, anybody who has these issues, though, we still have to deal with our humanity in our everyday life, and you said this, right? So I'm a parent, and I'm a grandparent, and I've got a granddaughter, and man, she is spunky, Okay. So she, she loves her grandfather, her ginky. But again, I'm going to go like, but my granddaughter would love to eat ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and supper. She loves a fire and wants to put her hands in it. And I display love to her by not letting her put her hands in a fire. But as a two-year-old, she doesn't feel like ginky's being loving. Mm. She feels like Inky's holding her back from the one little joy in her life. Let me run my fingers through this dancing flame of orange and red and yellow that looks so cool. And I want to touch it. And I, and guess what? It's going to take her years mm-hmm. to mature and realize, oh, my grandfather was loving me and protecting me even though I didn't recognize it. And it went ever against all of her emotions and her feelings. Mm-hmm. Because because ultimately, our emotions don't def- define reality. They are reactions to reality. Exactly, mm-hmm. Steve. Mm-hmm. The, the, and this is what we're missing. But we live in a culture, if we're going to talk about culture, where my feelings define me. Right, which is insane. <laughs> and I find it hilarious because when I worked in the, the world, when I, I, you know, I worked in a, a big retail conglomerate, and something I used to get all the time at the human resources uh, meetings we'd have for how to interact with each other, They would say, perception is reality. And I used to think, uh, no, perception's not reality. Perception's your view of reality, maybe. Perception is perception. Right. Reality is what affects perception. And again, back to the article, because in your questions, you were asking about what are some of these things. I just don't think the poor author was also being consistent with all of the similes that are in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because you know we love to look out as a mother gathers her hands, or you know when Isaiah, the, when when the prophet saying, you know, as God would I not bring you to my breast like a mother, her 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 child. But what do you do with Jesus in Matthew fifteen, when a woman comes to him and he says, I, "Listen, I'm not here for you." Like you know, I, I wouldn't give that to the dogs. He basically calls her a dog. Yep, and she's not offended, by the way. Her immediate response is even a dog gets the crumb. Mm-hmm. So it's obvious, even in this interaction that Matthew was recording, 
This woman does not in any way believe that Jesus is degrading her, calling her a dog. Mm -hmm. And even I don't think the author of the article that we're humbly disagreeing with would ever think that Jesus was that misogynist. So obviously this is an example of a simile of expressions that were being used to make a point that transcend, transcend, sorry, transcend the gender issue. Right. Not technically a simile, but <laughs> right. more, more of a metaphor. <laughs> metaphor, you're sorry. <laughs> All right, guys. So this is a great conversation. So basically, if you're listening, like we, we disagree simply because we believe that Scripture is our authority first. and Our final authority. Our final authority, right. So like you bring your culture, your experiences to that, but then you you let the Bible filter that. You don't filter the Bible through your emotions and your culture. Uh, so we just want to challenge you on this and to actually, you know, again, get into your Bible, read it, and apply it to your life. Yep. And then, then then hopefully, you know, not hopefully, no, the Holy Spirit will lead you. It will guide you. And he he will speak to your And he's patient. Life. This is, you don't have to arrive. Like, mm-hmm. you know, God yeah. is okay with you struggling, with you being honest about your emotions and your feelings and Absolutely. your experiences. All of these, and ultimately, all I would say to our listening audience, mm-hmm. listen, we're not right because we're four dudes here hyped up on a, on a bit too much caffeine. I had a good caffeine. might be, <laughs> but not only. Right, but, <laughs> but the reality is, what I would like to tell my audience, think through these arguments and these, these articles and these mm-hmm. types of things, mm-hmm. but take them to their logical conclusion. Yep. Ours included. Right, yep. Uh, yep. What we're what we're putting out here as Absolutely. what we think the take it to it because this is what Steve was getting to. My problem with the article fundamentally is when you take it to its logical conclusion, you don't have God. No, and you have no method of knowing God. Exactly. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, catch us again next week. I'm hoping to have some really good conversations and we got some new summer interns. You will hear from them and what their experience has been like this year with us. So thanks again for listening and yeah, find us back at the same place as always. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.